Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. While watching children or a loved one experience challenging times, an emotional hardship is extremely tough, especially when you don't know how you can or should help them. A common self-destructive habit and behavior that people find hard to support loved ones through are abnormal and disturbed eating habits. Eating disorders are complex and come in various forms. And today we're here to chat about the warning signs and to offer tips to help you help those that you love. You know, eating disorders affect people of all walks of life. However, it's becoming increasingly common in adolescents and young people. Now, as a disclaimer, it is assumed that this is due to social pressures and stereotypes with the help of social media, of course. So, and that is just a disclaimer. I had to just put that out there. <laughs> but uh, this, this, despite the term distorted eating refers to food and is observed as a physical condition, eating disorders are in fact commonly associated with complex mental health conditions. It's very raw, uh, unpleasant topic to approach but necessary if we are to truly commit to doing all we can to offer our support to those in need. So if you think your child is showing signs of an eating disorder or a loved one, it could be a friend, a family, or anyone in your life or in your circles, it is important to seek support and to help them to seek support as soon as possible. So today, to show our support and to address this challenging topic, we welcome our special guest and one of our partners here at Kittypedia, Stel Coombe Heath, a leading authority in binge and emotional eating recovery. Now, a little bit about our guest, Stel leads ver- various programs on challenging mindsets around eating and healthy food choices. Now, she uh, she supports her clients to cultivate uh healthy eating habits and to build trust with food thank you for joining us today how are you thank you so much rachel so lovely to be here today likewise and it's um it is a very it's such a hard topic to to address with anyone that that you love and to see them you know sort of almost um morph from someone that they were to somebody else sometimes that we don't recognize and um it's it, it's so I'm, I'm really um, happy to go there with you today with the view of helping anyone watching and listening um so they can best know how to support people in their life possibly going through the same thing and um as, as much as i understand about this topic so far i'm going to learn a lot more by the end of it by listening to you of course but my understanding is is to get in there as early as possible when you start to see the warning signs um, of course. So but the whole thing is, I guess, that you never really want to hurt the person's feelings. And that's the challenging part, My is my understanding. Um, so it, not knowing how to approach it is is the problem. So, you know, yeah. although I guess we can never force a person um, with disordered eating to change, we can offer our support and encouragement and treatment. So I just wanted to know your thoughts initially on, on all yeah. of that. <laughs> it is a really hard um 
you know, subject to approach with anyone. And the reason for that is, you know, even just from my experience, which we'll probably get into a bit later, I thought what I was doing was the right thing, you know. So my behaviours with food was the right way, whereas everyone else was wrong. So approaching someone with that kind of view around their behaviours can be quite sensitive um, and can be confrontational um, in a sense. So it it is usually um, what I've seen and um, what I've been asked a lot about lately is how do, how do we support someone? Or how do we start that conversation? So, um, and that's why we're here today to just really start um, delving into that. As well. I just wanted to read some stats in doing my prep for the chat today to give some context. I read that it's about 30% of young people are extremely or very concerned about their body image. And that stat comes from myth in Australia. Um, and commonly, of course, when we th- we think of eating disorders, we can assume that it's referring to females. However, I understand that more than 37% of um, people experiencing eating disorders identify as male. So uh, I know that there's two big stats there, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on those two initially. Yeah, you know, I think if we look at the stats, okay, this is from a few years ago and it's grown quite significantly. You know, one in four um, of the Australian population struggles with an an eating disorder. Um, And, you know, we cannot discriminate here um, with regards to gender. We cannot say it's a certain race. We cannot say that it's. it can happen to absolutely anyone, really, mm-hmm. at any age, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, from my experience, I, I've recognised now little behaviours that I used to do from very young. But when I speak to my clients also from the ages 4 to 12, these, um, you know, behaviours can become something that they just learn and that carries into adult life. As well. Now, before we get into all the nitty-gritty questions, because I have quite a few, I just wanted to acknowledge we published your article titled How to Support Someone with Disordered Eating. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what it's about and, of course, what inspired you to write it? Okay, yes. So we often hear about eating disorders, but there's a lot of times when um, people experience patterns with food that are actually disordered as well. However, the the behaviours have not been classified as an actual eating disorder. Yes. So I kind of wanted to highlight these signs and signals because these are the precursors of, you know, going deeper into further, uh, more serious eating disorders later on. You know, Mm -hmm. so if we can start recognising these signs, we can address them and possibly prevent, you know, harmful behaviours with food, you know, Eating disorders aren't just in isolation most of the time. They are coupled with depression and anxiety. And, you know, sometimes um, when people feel so um, out of their body and so at war with their body, you know, they can, you know, want to do some serious harm to themselves as well. As well. So So mm -hmm. to begin with, I just wanted to establish what are eating disorders and how may they start as well. Okay, so eating disorders is an extreme or an extreme obsession with your body appearance, with weight, 
with food, with exercise, ways to make up for eating, um, and it becomes a preoccupation of life. And that's the, the, the number one thing here is it becomes absolutely the ruling thoughts and feelings of that person's being. They can't really function without thinking about how they're going to be with food or what their body looks like. Um, and it's, it starts, um, I think that was the next question. Well, yeah, so, so I just wanted to establish, so eating disorders, is it right to say, is a range of psychological conditions that cause unhealthy eating habits to develop? So it's an obsession with food, with body weight or a body shape, would you say? Yes, that's correct, yes. So I understand that there's four common types of eating disorders um, that uh, are professionally recognised um, and diagnosed um, by sort of a mental disorders uh, association. So which are binge eating disorder, bulimia, anorexia, and other specified feeding and other eating disorders. Would that be correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, and it's only recently that binge eating disorder has been, you know, recognized as a full eating disorder. Um, the other feeding disorders is actually a blanket, like uh, there's quite a few other behaviours underneath that as well, um, such as orthorexia, which is an obsession with food, which is very much um, one of the stems of, you know, the other eating disorders as well. Mm -hmm. And we usually assume that an eating disorder is related to anorexia or bulimia and, and, and people, you know, depriving themselves of food for whatever reason. Um, however, it's rarely spoken about the case of emotional eaters um, that can lead to a, a disorder. So I just wanted to have you just expand on this for, uh, for us now, um, which is the flip side, of course, of someone with anorexia and bulimia. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, anorexia and bulimia, those are the two extreme eating disorders where, you know, you can see that um, you can see physically that you know, there is something probably going on with a person's shape, you know, they might start losing their teeth, um, you know, bone density, all the rest. However, with binge eating disorder, you cannot really tell um, if a person, unless you look for some signs, you can't tell by body shape or assume that an overweight person has binge eating disorder. Uh, it, you really just can't tell um, from that perspective. So, um, you know, the main characteristics of um, the, the eating disorders are, you know, anorexia is on the one extreme where they abstain from eating and they over-exercise. Then you have bulimia where you, uh, they still, they eat and then they have periods of binging and then the periods of purging where they actually, uh, um, you know, either try and get rid of what they've done with, you know, usual purging methods or um, abusing exercise or laxatives, those kind of things. Yes. And you have binge eating disorder where there is no purging. Um, so they will just continue binge eating. Um, and then you have orthorexia where there's an obsession with eating healthy, but they might not be purging either. So um, those are kind of just some of the, Different Order. samples, yeah.
Now, I understand for 13 years, Stella, that you battled two eating disorders. What could you and would you be happy to share with us now about your experiences? Yes, absolutely. So I've, you know, for 13 years, I struggled with binge eating disorder, which or emotional eating uh, with bouts of binge eating, which then aggravated itself into full binge eating disorder and orthorexia. And what happened was I um, was in a really um, unhealthy career path, if we could put it that way. Um, I didn't eat at work. I worked extremely long hours. And then at home, I would binge eat on food because I didn't eat anything during the day. And I didn't think that there was anything wrong with that. Um, I just thought that that was a normal pattern. Then later on, I decided to become healthier. So I started exercising, started running. Um, you know, I took that to the extreme. Uh, so I started running 60 to 100 kilometers a week to make up for wow. uh, my binge cycles. I would run to the gym eight kilometers, work out for two hours and run home. Wow. <laughs> and so it became kind of a exercise became an obsession for me. Um, on top of my, you know, eating behaviors, I try to eat as healthily as possible. I cut out my, most food groups. And with that, um, everything just compounded. I always thought there was something wrong with me. And back then, binge eating disorder wasn't classified as an eating disorder. So I would consult psychologists and they would tell me to just manage my uh, emotions such as my stress levels um, I would go to a dietitian and they would tell me to just be disciplined on a food plan you know and I would do all those things because I want to really you know take on board what the health professionals would say mm -hmm. and I'd still fail I'd still have these problems and I'd still have these obsessions with food and consumed my my life really right. <laughs> yeah go ahead you know so so really is that you understand the hardships that come with disordered um food relationships and really now um how to overcome them I guess in a healthy balanced way would you say yes absolutely it took me uh quite a while to recover um but you know eventually when i did find someone who i could trust um i you know was able to actually take the steps and you know make peace with food my body and now i have a balanced uh, relationship with with both of them and so you're a holistic health coach um so and you help many through this self-transformation um, with different practices and techniques. So would you maybe just go through some of them with us now? So I understand you you infuse yoga, mindfulness, and energy medicine um, in, in consultation with your clients to sort of help them. Would that be right? Yes, that's absolutely right. So, um, you know, from a um, – when we look at an individual, we are not just about the food we eat. We are not just about our physical bodies. We are – you know, we've got a physical body, emotional, we've got an energy body, we've got a, um, you know, subconscious level that's, you know, or unconscious level. And then, you know, we also have our communities, we have the culture, the culture that we've brought up, been brought up, we've got our immediate family, and we've got other outside influences. So we cannot just look at 
you know, any um, any person as a whole um, and just look at the mm -hmm. food and just give them an eating plan and just help them nurture with nourishing foods. We need to make sure that we um, inf infuse different modalities or different things that will look after each layer of you know humanity <laughs> or and so that this is where um i infuse yoga in some of my um, practices because you know some of my clients um they might not want to exercise or they can't exercise or they just don't have time um to really move so this is where physical asana yoga practices will come in handy. Other times we'll use um, breath work or meditation visualization to help them reach deeper into other emotional or physical wounds as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to establish then, you know, what is, I guess, the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating? Is there a difference? Yes. So, um, an eating disorder, as we described, has this um, real obsession uh, and it becomes a preoccupation with, like, within your life, whereas disordered e eating is a range of irregular, irregular eating dis uh, behaviours that may or may not really uh, require a diagnosis. And this could be stuff like chronic dieting, uh, fasting, skipping meals, even occasional binge eating, um, feeling like you don't have trust with food, being out of control with food, um, cutting out certain food groups mm -hmm. as well. So what are the signs and dangers then of disordered eating? So the signs of um, disordered eating, you'll probably see people making excuses for not wanting to eat um in or you know eat with in public there might be um sneaking food there might be hiding packages there might be an obsession with counting um macros or calories um from my experience for example i used to track my calories on my fitness pal weight watches um, um points as well as an excel spreadsheet that had formulas in it i would track my running calories um, I would track my, like, you know, so it was really an, an obsessive kind of thing. So some people might just be really obsessed with like burning those calories. Um, other um, signals would be disappearing just after meals or avoiding meal times. Um, you know, um, little children with AFRID are very sensitive to certain textures or tastes. So they might refuse to eat certain foods from that perspective, not because they're fussy. It could just be because to that, that's really overwhelming. And um, they, they actually just fear those foods in quite a big way. Mm -hmm. So how can we look for the warning signs um, with loved ones? Uh, is it just it's, it's a shift from normal behaviours to some of these more abnormal and different uh, behaviours, would you say? Yes, yes, um, definitely. And this is, um, I kind of touched on this earlier, but um, when I actually through, you know, my own experience understanding disorder eating and eating disorders more and working with my clients, I've actually started recognising small and remembered small little patterns from myself when I was 
young, I'm talking three, four years old, um, I would sneak food. I would eat in secret when my mum wasn't at home. I would, if there was a birthday party, I was the one standing at the cake table where all the other kids were running around playing um, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. I would, um, you know, while everyone was not looking, I'd go take something else more off, off the cake table. So um, those are the little things where, you know, it might seem endearing, but those are um, little warnings as well. Like um, with Afrid, again, there's this extreme refusal to eat. Um, they might, you know, be very emotional with um, um, when you present them with foods that they cannot actually um, agree with in that perspective as well. Mm -hmm. So talking about supporting, as we were saying at the start of the interview, how can anyone listening uh, and watching um, support someone with disordered eating them, especially their children? Mm, okay. So I think the, the one of the biggest things we need to all do, and this is really hard because we have a really large social media influence, mm -hmm. but I got most of my messages about my body and dieting from magazines that I would see at eye level at the checkout counters or what the, the gossip magazines that my mom would buy. Um, you know, on the front page, there was always a um, celebrity or some housewife who has lost weight. The mm -hmm. weight loss was praised or there would be a secret diet that someone's on. So even without social media, I already had those messages that in order for me to be happy, I needed to lose weight I needed to um, be thin, then I'll be successful, all those kind of things. Um, so, and then we have now the diet industry who that has just grown exponentially. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, as we know. And everything we see nowadays is a hundred calorie meal or low sugar, low fat. So what we're creating is a real fear about foods and a real perception of what is good and what is bad when it mm -hmm. comes to food. So when we, um, especially around young children, we need to be very careful about how we describe even food or our bodies, you know, um, often we pick it ourselves, you know, someone will give you a compliment and you would say, Oh no, I still have more weight to lose or I feel fat or, you know, whatever we say. And we don't really realize what that, how that absorbs and um I had my niece the other day ask me she's six years old I she offered me some chocolate and I said no thank you and she said are you on a diet and I'm like okay first of all how do you know about dieting you're six and I said to her no I, I had a lot of chocolate yesterday because it was Easter so I'm just I'm done with chocolate she's like she couldn't understand it she's like oh okay like <laughs> so really from that and it's not like her parents talk about dieting all the time, but that's what she's getting from school as well. Like apparently her friend is on all sorts of diets and all those at kinds of things. At six. At six. child is on a diet at six. Is that, is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so, so shouldn't shouldn't that just be now more? I guess a shift to more healthy eating um, and a more just a schedule of of balanced eating and exercise rather than a diet per se, especially for a child yes. of that age. 
would you yeah, say? Absolutely. No, definitely. You know, mm. um, it's, it's, I think that also just comes from, I guess, the parents, you know, if the parents is on a diet 100% all the time and their child might display, you know, behaviors where they eat too much sugar, they're like, well, you're coming on this diet with me, or they might even not be on a diet, but they think they are because that's what mum's on, you know? Um, Yeah. So definitely, um, I mean, I do understand that there are some allergies and there are certain, um, children who need to be on a specific eating mm. regime. Um, but it might not be helpful to call it a diet or um, also, you know, just not creating this fear of this food is bad or this one's unhealthy. It's more just um, having more of a neutral approach to food. Yes. And, and that approach, of course, is something that the, the more we speak about it, it ends up just sitting in their, their long-term memory. And as we're creating those neural pathways for, for young children, we have to be very careful with what yeah. messages we're, we're giving them. But you know, it's getting back, I guess, to disordered eating. Um, and despite that, so much of that is a, a, a visual effect. Um, and we see that being physical. I guess, you know, the the effects are merely the outcome of what is a really painful emotional and mental experience for the sufferer, which we need to really take that into consideration, I guess, as well. Now, mm. in your view, do you think the best way to avoid um, problems with disordered eating is uh, an stop them from getting out of hand is to get in early um, and and ensure that that person actually has access to treatment and support as early as possible. What are your thoughts? I would definitely say so because uh, Mm. behaviours with food, like any behaviour, the longer it's repeated, the more it's ingrained in our brains as just the go-to pattern. What I, um, most of my clients have struggled for 20, 30, 40 years with eating different I've seen most of the the disorders we've talked about today and by the time they seek out for help it's really difficult to reframe and um, rewire the brain you know from those behaviors being um, repeated so often it becomes an automatic thing and lots of time I work a lot with binge eaters and they've and myself included you feel like your your brain actually switches off and you just watch yourself almost in the moment um, eating the food without remorse. Um, And so, and that's because it's become such a habit. You know, if you think about when you brush your teeth, you don't think about it. It's just something that happens. And that's because you've repeated the brushing of your teeth so often. The same with these behaviors. If they are repeated day in, day out, they become automatic. Yeah. Completely understand. It becomes part of, it sort of sits in their long-term memory as well. Then, yeah. So if, if um, we're concerned about a loved one suffering with eating disorders by seeing these patterns, a child, an adolescent, a relative or a friend, how can we best and how should we best approach it then? Yep. Okay. So I think it's as hard as this might seem, it's starting a conversation about it. It might not be a direct conversation. It might just be, and you know, talking about 
disordered eating in general in normal conversations and ask them what they think about it, you know, so it doesn't seem like it's 100% confrontational. Um, but know that if you are going to take more of a direct approach because you are worried and you need to make sure that they are not going to harm themselves, then do know that um, they are going to feel like they're on the attack. They are going to feel like you have, you know, you are against them possibly. So just making sure that you provide a safe environment where it's just you and, and, and that person having a, a safe conversation, um, letting them know that you are not judging them. You are just wanting to support them and love them as much as possible. Um, so that is how we start th those conversations, letting them know that they are not alone and that there is actually support out there for them. Mm -hmm. And is it, it, I mean, it depends, of course, on, on the relationship that you have with the person as well, but do you hit the nail on the head and just approach the topic directly or do you sort of dance around it or is it a series of conversations once again of course how long's a piece of string it depends on the relationship <laughs> and all of that sort of stuff but is it a combination of all of those things and always leading with empathy and love would you say yeah I would say I think one thing is um don't let it become don't let them brush you off and you never broach the subject again so um, it d definitely depends on the relationship. You know, if you have a very open relationship and there's a lot of communication, you could possibly take a di very direct approach and just say, look, I'm worried. Um, you know, um, let's just explore some options. Um, and But if it's someone that the, rela the relationship is not as, you know, solid, it might be a few conversations, creating awareness, um, you know, and not in your face awareness, as I said, more of a, um, you know, just talking about it in general, tell them about an article that you've read or um, something like that, that would actually just help them feel, okay, there is an awareness of these behaviours might not be okay. Um, and then, then you can go into deeper conversations after that. Yeah, because as you mentioned earlier, sometimes when, as the saying is, when you can't see the forest for the trees, when you're in the situation, <laughs> you don't realise how, how bad it actually is if you are the sufferer. So I'd love to know from your perspective why it's so important that we talk about it in general. Do you think that in some way by openly talking about it, it's almost like acknowledging that this, the situation is real with the sufferer, which they can be in denial about which can sometimes be the first step in the direction of helping them heal. Like, what are your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like for myself, I 100% thought that my behaviour was the correct way of living and everyone else was wrong. <laughs> so, but I didn't read, I didn't see articles about disordered eating. You know, I saw articles about anorexia and bulimia. I didn't have those. So for me, it was like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, very strict with myself and, uh, you know, I just exercise a lot and then I, you know, can't control myself. Um, whereas if I possibly had more um, support in um, understanding that these behaviours are actually disordered, um, I would have probably 
had more awareness around that and probably um, been persistent with asking for help um, sooner, I guess. Overall then, and given that you had experienced it for 13 years, in your opinion, how much of this do you think ends up being a psychological uh, issue as opposed to being a physical issue in the sense that... um, once again, we, we, we see what's what's happening um, through, through through the person's physicality, but, I mean, it, it always anchors down to something that is, is deeper in the conscious or subconscious mind, would you say? Yes, absolutely. So usually it's got nothing to do with the food or the actual body. It's about our own beliefs and our own views about ourselves and, um, you know, the belief that, we don't belong or uh, we won't be accepted unless we change our outward appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is all based on beliefs, our thoughts we think, the emotions that we have. Uh, that's that's one part of it. Then you also have, obviously, emotional triggers like trauma Um and it might not be trauma. It might even just be every day-to-day stress. Sometimes people just start using food as a way to cope um, with what's going on in the world. You know, yes. COVID was a really good example when everyone's like, ah, oh, there's all this food in my pantry. <laughs> the food was always in the pantry, but all of a sudden it was now just a, an escape or a way for us to just really. A coping um, mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. Cope with it. Mm. Okay, it's a big, big topic to approach today. So thank you for going there with me. If we were to summarize your key messages from your article, which of course, the sh- which is the link is in the show notes. And if from everything that we've discussed today, what would your key messages be for anyone watching and listening? Okay, well, um, my key messages is, you know, look out for the signs. Um, if you are experiencing these signs, also don't be afraid to, you know, approach someone and look for help. You're not alone. There's so many people struggling with this. It's definitely not a stigma. It's not something to be embarrassed about. So th- that's number one. Um, number two is, you know, try and help whoever's going through this as soon as possible. Um, you know, there's so many resources out there. There's so many uh, professionals that can actually help. The other thing is make sure that you reach out to someone who is actually experienced in this field. So if you're searching uh, for psychologists or, you know, organizations, make sure that they actually understand disordered eating um, because otherwise you might delay the process of healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are the ones. And then the, the third one was actually just the creating the awareness um, and for us to be open to speak about this and not having this being a taboo subject, you know, it's so real. The more um, that we, we talk we, about it, the more we normalise it for somebody else, don't we? Exactly. Yeah, and of course, as you were just mentioning, obviously making sure that the the organisations that you do reach out to for support are accredited. Um, we'll have the links through to Kids Helpline and also the Butterfly Foundation Helpline, which are both um, free numbers as well. Um, yes. And in saying that, if anyone would like to reach out to you, of course, Stel, um, whereabouts can they find you? 
Yes, absolutely. You can look for me. Um, my website is uh, wholesomelifestyleproject.com. I am also on Instagram, Wholesome Lifestyle Project. I also have a podcast mm -hmm. called Beyond Overeating by Wholesome Lifestyle Project. Or you can come and find me actually on Kidopedia. Um, I do have my all my contact details are in the um, in the profile section there as well. Perfect. And we'll have all of those um, links in the show notes, Stel. Thank you so much uh, for your time today. And I really look forward to chatting with you again in the not too distant future. In the, in the mm -hmm. meantime, stay safe and uh, speak soon. Okay, bye. Thank you so much. Bye. bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids. <laughs>